welcome to the book on film. I am Bunny Williams, and with me is my name is Reverend Steve. I am the Pope in question. I am the founder of the Church of Ed Wood. Actual thing worth a Google. It's episode two hundred and sixty-eight of the podcast. Hopefully, and uh, we've got a, a very exciting podcast to get to. We got family drama. We got some movies to talk about. Some breaking news. Uh, a very uh, surprisingly powerful Steve's historic approximations, and probably more discussion on this movie, this week's movie, than is necessary. Yeah. So, got a, a big, big episode planned. Not that big, because of of things that happened this week, which we will get to later but very excited are you ready bunny i am ready are you okay then let's do this bunny yes i've got three words for you nicholas freaking cage okay what what amazing talent what skill what range this man has and sure some people will say that he's a hack who only makes crap movies but those people just don't know his movies like i do bunny like you do like you and i do but and bunny i'll say uh, the name this is what we're gonna do okay we're gonna play a game all right i'm gonna say i've made a list of my top favorite nicholas cage movies all right because he's done so many amazing movies. So I'm going to list my top 10 favorite Nicolas Cage movies. And you, Bunny, will really quickly, because you're so good at this, yes. tell us the plot of the film. Okay, okay. Bunny? Uh, here you go. My own personal list of the top 10 Nicolas Cage movies. Number 10, The Great Panama Banana Explosion. Go! The Great Panama Banana Explosion, yes, one of one of Nicolas Cage's finest performances, I think. Okay, top ten. Uh, this is Nicolas Cage. He was a college student. He needed extra money so he could stay in school. Uh, so he put himself up for a scientific experimentation in which they were trying to. Uh, uh, Cure erectile dysfunction, basically, and they were giving him a substance through through injections uh, to make his penis larger and harder. Uh, but the banana exploded. Yeah, very sad. Yeah, yeah. An incredible performance. Oh yes, Nicholas. it was. Now, uh, my number nine favorite Nicolas Cage movie. It was difficult to pick one of the seven films in the franchise, but if I had to pick the best, uh, I went with, for my ninth favorite uh, Nicolas Cage movie, five, six, seven, eight, nine, Shark Heist 3, I felt was the best shark heist movie out of the seven shark heist films that they've made so far. But 
But why don't you tell us really quickly the plot of Shark Heist 3? Shark Heist 3 um, is where Nicolas Cage plays a very beloved uh, children's show host. Uh, Mm. Very, very kindly man Nicolas Cage plays here. You, You really... You really feel it. Um, and he decides that the best thing to do, the most compassionate thing to do uh, to help heal our nation is to assassinate the president. Uh, so, yes. yeah, so, so Nicolas Cage um, consults with King Friday. Mm-hmm. And formulates a plan on how to actually get into the White House and assassinate one orange bastard. Uh, and that that is, I'm gonna I'm, no spoiler alerts here. Whether he's successful no or not, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm I'm not gonna say. You know, but yeah, that is that is Shark Heist three. Yeah, and who can forget the pie fight scene? Oh no! Oh, that was classic. Classic. My number eight favorite Nicolas Cage film, of course, is the Academy Award-winning film, Time Boxer. Yes. What was the plot of Time Boxer again, Bunny? Time Boxer. Uh, he worked for Amazon. He was on the line. Uh, and if he was timed for every package that he would box... Uh, and if it didn't come into a certain amount of time, he would be fired and lose his job. Um, yes. And be another unemployed person during the pandemic who can't afford their rent. Um, so that that is it. Is It's Nicolas Cage basically fighting against the corrupt corporate system that yes. is timing how fast he could box things. Yes, and it's not to be confused, of course, with Nicolas Cage's other film, Boxing Time, in which he played a yes. time-traveling boxer. That one would be, like, number 11, but it didn't make, <laughs> the, cut. It didn't make the cut of the top 10. Number 7, Frankensnail. Frankensnail. Uh, Frankensnail was an immigrant. It was actually Bert Frankensnail. Uh, he was from Romania, and uh, it, it's Nicolas Cage does a really touching performance of what the life of uh, a new immigrant to America is. You know, like he he would go into the supermarket aisle and just like look at the coffee and be like, "Oh my god, oh my god, there's so much coffee," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he would get a parking ticket and he didn't know what to do about that. It's just like all the kind of confusion uh, trying to adopt a new culture uh, until he is eventually beaten to death by the police. Yeah. Uh, So uh, number six, of course, is the film that I feel is even better Bride of Frankensnail. Why don't you run us through that? The sequel to Frankensnail. Bride of Frankensnail um, is when they 
they took Bert Frankensnail's body and reanimated it. But somewhere in the process, there was a change in gender. Mm, yes. So, so they went with the title Bride of Frankenstein. But it's really just Frankenstein. It's that whole, like, yeah. you know, is Frankenstein the doctor or is Frankenstein the monster? It's the same thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number five on my list of the top ten Nicolas Cage movies. <coughs> this one is a difficult plot. It's hard to explain, but I think you can do it, Bunny. The film is called Just Car Chases. Just Car Chases. Yeah. yeah. What this was that plot one, again? This one was fucking overlooked by the Academy, and it's a goddamn I, shame. Very much shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this one is hard to sum up because it was so complex. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so many different know, layers. Getting into the whole politics and political structure of the of the moon base is is one thing, but then when you mix it in with the corporate greed and um, Earth policies being placed on the moon base, you know, along with the orphans, which was fucking heartbreaking, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. You know, it became a very, very rich and complex plot. But basically, Nicolas Cage escapes from Epstein Island onto a moon base and claims sanctuary. Ah, mm-hmm. but the orphans yeah. keep going missing. The orphans, the yeah, orphans, and it all tracks back to Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Now, Earth policy has become you could have sex with orphans, sure, and they don't really matter anyway because they're not in the census. Yeah, orphans are off of the census. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's a very anti-hero movie. So it's kind of like Norman Bates, where you're watching Nicolas Cage and you really know he's a, he's a complete piece of shit with what he's doing with orphans. But like Norman Bates, you don't want to see him get caught. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. You know he's the bad guy. You know he's the terrible person in this movie. But, like... You know, as they keep getting closer, you kind of you, you want them to get away. You want them to go and become a lumberjack. Is basically yeah, it. yeah. So, so that's number five on my list. The number, my number four favorite Nicolas Cage movie is, uh, of course, out of the entire series. Uh, I went with the last one, which I felt was was just the biggest film. Sleet Magetton 5. The last. Sleet. Sleet. Sleet Magetton 5. The last in the Sleet Magetton series. Yes. Uh, Look, Nicolas Cage in this movie can rock the galoshes. Okay? Yes. that, That in itself should be the tag phrase for this. Yeah. <clears throat> but this is where Nicolas Cage is an Olympic figure skater and and 
he needs to practice. Uh, he needs to practice before the big tournament in Japan in the Olympics this year, 2020, just like Akiru, fuck us all. Um, so he has to practice his skating before the competition, and the freezer mechanism is broken, so basically he's not really getting ice. He's yeah. getting a layer of sleep. Oh, you know, yeah. and yeah. and if he doesn't make this competition, you know, then children are gonna gonna get like psychic powers and kill us all. I like Sleet Magetan Five because Gwyneth Paltrow is finally back. Yes, because she was fired after the third one. And then she yeah. wasn't in the fourth one, and then she came back for the last one, and that's the reason why I like Sleep Magetan Five better than the other ones. The my third favorite Nicolas Cage movie was a film I believe he did in Japan. It was called Doki Doki Cat Panic Senpai Love. Yes. Why don't Why don't you tell all of our listeners and viewers about Doki Doki Cat Panic Senpai Love? First, the dubbing was hysterical. Yes. You've got to admit that. But then Nicholas um, speaks English just like Nick Adams in those uh, uh, Toho films. Yes. Yeah. And but still has his own voice dubbed back onto him. Yeah. Which which is a very strange process. They were uh, already in the process of dubbing everything, so they had him dub himself. Yeah. Nicholas Cage in this movie creates a giant mech. Okay, mm-hmm. and and the mech goes berserk and starts destroying Japan. Okay, and and basically they have to go and find Nicolas Cage because Nicolas Cage is the only one who knows how to shut it down because he's the one who built it. Yeah. And he uses his Doki Doki powers, which, which, which basically he got from like a compact. And there would be little buttons in there, and he would press a button, and um, he would get his boots on and his skirt, and his hair would be all flowy and pink or whatever. Um, and Nicolas Cage would then go fight the mech instead of using his knowledge to just shut it down. Yeah. Fun, fun fact about Japan. In America, we've got the King James Bible, and then we have the new King James Bible, and then we have the new international version, and then we have the, the new translated version of the Bible. In Japan, they have the Kobayashi Bible, and in that one, um, uh, Judas becomes a 40 foot tall monster with tentacles. Yeah. The only way for Jesus to feed him is to get all of the apostles to combine to form one giant apostle robot. <laughs> That's the, Japanese Bible. the Japanese Bible is slightly different than the American Bible is what I'm yeah. saying. It's very Japanese. In the Japanese Bible, Jesus isn't a carpenter. He's a BMX racer, just like Japanese Spider-Man. Yes. Yes, so, exactly. Different translations. Different translations. The number two... But, but both uh, equally true and equally uh, valid. Yeah, equally true. My second favorite Nicolas Cage movie is uh, probably not on everyone's top ten list, but I 
me being me, I, I it has a soft part in my heart because I love all the Muppet films. Yes. You know, uh, Muppet Treasure Island, Muppet Christmas Carol, M- Muppet the Thornbird, uh, yes. Muppet Shogun. Uh, Muppet Roots, but of course, uh, Muppet Battle Royale, but of course, my favorite, and Nicolas Cage does an amazing job in this, is Muppet Cannibal Holocaust. Muppet Cannibal Holocaust, yes. What do you have to say about that one, buddy? Uh, (coughs) It was kind of fun. It was kind of fun. I mean... It was nice that Nicolas Cage helped the Muppets find Fozzie, who was kidnapped in the Amazon. Um, we're really afraid what might happen to him there, you know. Uh, and and how he tied in Benjamin Franklin's glasses to figure out that uh, that Fozzie had been kidnapped by an Amazon tribe, that was some pretty brilliant and impressive stuff. And Nicolas Cage did sell it. I mean, yeah. he's, I mean, he's definitely, you know, he, he's not Indiana Jones, but he's like the Indiana Jones doll that you would get from the dollar store. Yeah. Yeah, you know, or Indiana Jones. That's like, yeah. like, yeah, Dakota Johnson. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'll tell you, Paul Williams can write some snappy songs about cannibalism. Yes, he can. You know? Toe tappers, toe tappers. <laughs> That's just what cocaine will do to you. And my number one favorite Nicolas Cage movie is, of course, everyone's favorite Nicolas Cage movie, without a doubt, hands down the best Nicolas Cage film that's ever been made, Nun-Gun. Nun-Gun, yes. Nun-Gun. Which Love was a, yeah, which was a secret military project, um, mm-hmm. which is why we're giving billions and billions of dollars to the military-industrial complex, and it was to create this giant gun, you know, and... Yeah. It would it would fire nuns. Nun would, guns. So yeah. you would have yeah. So you would have like like we would do a nun gun attack on Japan on, on well on fucking Japan. Why not? They've been too quiet lately. Hmm. And we'll just, we'll just pelt their entire country with nuns until yep. we nun them into submission. Nun them into submission. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like the Manhattan Project. It has a Manhattan Project kind of vibe. Yeah. You know? But Nicolas Cage um, testing all the individual nuns to find out if they if they really have quite what it takes to be a projectile was yeah. was was pretty impressive. Yeah, brilliant. It was almost like the patent speech. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so those are my uh, top ten Nicolas Cage movies. Thank you, Bunny, for helping me with plots because you're so good with plots, and I'm not that good with them. So, I, thank you for that. And, you are and, welcome. Uh, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Natasha had some different things to say about these movies, but yeah. this was a lot of fun. 
This was a lot of fun. I like that yes, a lot. Was. Yeah. And yes, it was. Cut. Yeah. And cut on that. There you go. Funny! Because I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. A couple of those Nicolas Cage movies, I haven't seen them. <gasps> Shock! Shocker! Yeah. <coughs> you, did you did great, Bunny. So thank you. Golf clap to you, Bunny. Yes. Do you remember the episode where we talked about the white Christian missionary who went to Uganda and pretended to be a doctor? Yes. 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 Yeah. I remember. Okay. So uh, let me explain it for the uninitiated amongst you. There's this white woman, white Christian woman named Renee Bach, and she started the Serving His Children Ministry, a, a, a Christian organization in Uganda, because uh, she was a, a Christian missionary which I fully believe is a very racist thing. Just the idea of missionaries yeah. in general is just a racist concept of, hey, we're white Americans. We need to go to these foreign country and help the savages yeah. learn about our uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed white god is basically every type of missionary that's out there so she pretended to be a doctor she started an organization to help malnourished ugandan children and was accused of uh just playing the white savior she pretended to be a doctor and did some really horrible things and was sued the ugandan government accused her of possibly killing over a hundred children yes it is a shocking story that American Christians are ignoring because it doesn't fit their narrative of how Christianity is a, a savior or whatever. So a few days ago, there was news in the case. Okay. And I perked up because I feel that we, you know, are more people should be talking about this amazing case and this woman. Uh, pretended to be a doctor and killed a bunch of kids, but she's a white Christian, so everyone's sort of ignoring it. It's a big deal in Uganda, I can tell you that much. So oh, yeah. Anyway, a few days ago, she and her lawyer reached a settlement out of court wherein she agreed to pay two mothers $10,000 each without having to legally admit liability. And that's bullshit because black people in America are being shot to death for the crime of looking suspicious. And here's yeah. this fucking white woman who killed a bunch of kids in Uganda. And they're like, oh, pay this ticket, basically. You know, that's yeah. some bullshit there is yeah. what that is. Some goddamn bullshit. A blonde-haired, blue-haired, white Christian woman thought she could, like, she did, she, there's record. She did blood transfusions. She didn't have any medical background. She was just in, she was just a white Christian woman in Uganda and just started playing white savior. And she was doing medical treatments and blood transfusions. And I, apparently she thought that, um, 
hey, I read the Bible. That's experience enough. Well, Uganda has just been the Christian's playground for a while now. I mean, that's where they're sending the fucking missionaries to... uh, to pass the laws to make it okay for the government to kill homosexuals, which yeah. is what is being being funded by Chick-fil-A. Yeah. So I really do think that Mormons, Christians, Catholics, all religions really need to uh, pay attention to the Rene Bach case and rethink their positions on uh, missions and missionary work. At least four more, the only good part about this is that at least four more families, maybe more, are considering also following legal action against Rene Bach and serving his children ministries. And I hope that that happens. I hope that, because right now, this, the, this first lawsuit was just two families. Yeah. But there's a lot of other families out there, and I really hope that they do that other families step up and hold this woman to task because this is some bullshit. Yes. More people need to get on their computers or their phones and look up Renee Bach serving his children ministry and learn about this horrible woman who was responsible for numerous deaths. Yes. Yeah, that was just a short story that I wanted to mention because it it, it, it means a lot to me and it pisses me off. Yeah, because it's so easy for things to go missing because so much happens in just a fucking week. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, but anyway, buddy! Yes! We still have a, a big show to get to. We have a, a, a movie to talk about. We have, a, I have a, some family drama to get to. We need to talk about Ray Crash Corrigan. Okay. We need to talk about Fred Willard. We need to talk about uh, Madeline Kahn. God damn, I love that woman. Yes. And so much more. But before we get to any of that, maybe we should take a break. Should we take a break? We should take a break. I concur. We will be right back with more of the Pope on Film after this. And break. Before the throne of the Almighty. Come on. 
segment bunny versus starring the incomparable bunny williams are you ready are you pumped are you amped are you jazzed are you psyched are you primed are you ready ready and raring to go ready to do it ready to ready to take that hill are you ready bunny sure all right then without <laughs> any further ado it's time once again for bunny versus and now here is your host Bonnie Williams, take it away, buddy. Zombie cicadas. Zombie cicadas. Yeah, we needed that. Yeah, we yeah. needed that. Yeah. I, I, I really got to think, between this and the murder hornets, I really kind of think the media is just fucking with us now. Murder Hornets versus Zombie Cicadas. Brand yeah. new from The Asylum. Premiering <laughs> next month on the Sci-Fi Channel. Yes. Yes, indeed. Luke Perry's final film. What was that? Yeah. I said Luke Perry's final film. Yes. And as always, ending last week, there's always something during Bunny Versus I forget to say, even though I yes. can't think of anything to say. We didn't mention John fucking Saxon. Oh, yeah. John Saxon died. Yeah. Yeah. Really says a lot. John Saxon is one of those people where uh, what you know him from says a lot about you. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Like a little Rorschach test. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just love John Saxon. And like growing up, it was like Captain Kirk and John Saxon. Yeah, there was a period like where John Saxon was like was two of my, my male role models. 
Yeah, he was everywhere for a while. Which explains a couple of things. Yeah. So, every, so yeah. Yeah, every movie, every made-for-TV movie, every TV show, John Saxon would be popping up. Yeah. Yeah. But but I like your idea of, of, of we could do kind of a personality test from the John Saxon movies you know him from. So, like, let's see, Black Christmas, Planet Earth, um, Nightmare on Elm Street. I think most people. I think most people were just like, uh, like, Enter the Dragons. Enter the Dragon, yeah. Yeah, Enter the Dragons. John Saxon dead at age whatever. I think is what I saw most of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he's just one of those guys who just like he never made it big. You know, yeah. yeah. He made it to B or C level actor. Like, like if you got John Saxon in your movie, you were fine with that. But he was yeah. far from your first choice. Yeah. Yeah, we can get John Saxton. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Wilford Brimley just died today. Wilford I Brimley. Think just died yes and most people are going cocoon but that's another person with uh like a pretty big career oh god yeah yeah i remember i remember wilford brimley from some tv show he had and i don't remember what it was called but his daughter was played by shannon doherty uh-huh wait for beverly hills 90210 that's where i know wilford brimley from and I think it was like family or our family or something like that. Something like that. It was yeah. an extremely family-oriented show. Shannon Doherty wanted to be an astronaut. Yeah. And like the basic premise was like her, like the mother got divorced, so she or something happened, and she had to move back in with her father. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember that. I remember that show, and I don't know why. That show was that show was almost as bland as this week's movie, and I have no idea why that show has stuck in my head. Like, I don't even think it lasted a fucking season. And it was just, it wasn't even, like, a good family drama. I think it was yeah, supposed there was to be more of a sitcom, but it was like a serious sitcom. Yeah, there was nothing that set itself apart from other things of the time. Yeah. You know? But yeah, for some reason, I just remember that <laughs> show. That was New Wilfred Brimley from. I think even before Cocoon, I think. I, I think it was a, a mind control experiment, which is why we both remember this thing that really, it's not worth remembering. <laughs> I, don't know why, I don't know why this thing is stuck in my mind for so long. <clears throat> this might be a mind control thing. This might be like, this is how they reactivate us. Yes. Like... Uh, like here, like, here's Donald Trump, and he's like, hey, person, woman, man, camera, TV, and it's like, dude, 
if if you just said that in Russian, that's how you get the Winter Soldier. <laughs> that's, how you get, that's how you get Bucky to kill for you. You just mm-hmm. say that in Russian, and there you go. It's a, oh man, this it's it's so insane. Oh, he maybe we should cancel the election. Yeah. Who didn't see the, that the, coming? The fucking five miles away. The hilarious thing about that is that Joe Biden said, uh, like, like in like 2017, Joe Biden was like 2018. Joe Biden said in a speech, uh, Donald Trump, he, 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 he's unqualified, he's ruining America, he's going to want to cancel the election. And Fox News was just like, crazy man says wild conspiracy theory spreading lies. How dare yeah. he say that? How dare Joe Biden even suggest Donald Trump would ever want to postpone the election? And the same people who attacked Joe Biden for suggesting that Donald Trump would want to do that are now defending Donald Trump for wanting to do that. Mm-hmm. It's a vicious cycle. All of America is now a battered spouse. Yes. Yes, exactly. Where we are as a nation. So, yeah. Bunny. So yes. I'm. I am. I'm just now beginning a very strange week because it's Gish this okay. week. Oh, Gish being the greatest international scavenger hunt. I think is what it stands for. It's a thing for charity that uh, Castiel from Supernatural does every year and my wife gets really into it. And it's the scavenger hunt. You get points for like, he'll release a list of like 200 crazy things for you to do and and put together (coughs) which things you do. So all yesterday and today my wife has been making me a wedding dress made out of shopping bags okay for me to wear at a supermarket so that's gish in a nutshell Uh, so so you have to wear this to a supermarket Yes. No, you don't have to. No, we don't have to wear it to a supermarket. I just have to wear it, but we feel we'll get extra points I have for doing make, it. I have to make it out of uh, recyclable plastic materials, trash bags and the like, and uh, somebody has to wear it and we take a picture. We need enough credit for that. However, I thought my team would get more credit if Steve and I dressed up and he wore the dress to the supermarket, and then we took pictures like that because Misha Collins and Vicky, his wife, they went and got married at a supermarket. Yeah, they got married inside of an Albertsons. Okay. So I mean, if you if you Google it, you'll you'll yeah. see. That's what I want to do. And I figured, ha, I'll get them like that. I'll get extra points that way. That's that is a good possibility. Later, we might uh, reenact a roller coaster using uh, the bathtub and a green screen. Okay. And. Uh, Later this week, I think I can do a pretty good job of drawing a cryptid using salt. Are you still going to try for Stanley with spices? I thought somebody else got that. They did claim it, but uh, two cakes. You know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I can try and I can try and do a, a 
picture of Stanley using salt? Spices. 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 Yeah, I think I can do that. From the cabinet. Yeah, I think I can do that. Uh, so that's my week. So it's, oh, it's going to be fun. Oh, I have to retweet the link for the charity. I did. I got it. I did. Yeah, I already did, did that. Yeah. yeah. So Stan, Stan Lee my... using spices. Yeah, I need to do a I need to do a portrait of Stan Lee using only kitchen spices. And I got a really great uh just simple line drawing of Stan Lee and I think using that as a basis, I think I got it. I think yeah. I got it. But for some reason, that yeah, made me made, made emerald pop to mind, and, and yeah, Zachary, yeah. Was he? Except was it would a, be except yeah, it would okay. be Stanley's face. <laughs> Stan. Yeah. One of my team members uh, is tie dye something that shouldn't be tie dyed. Yeah. And uh, I saw that we one. were considering her doing her tortoise. But no, uh, we're going to tie dye. She's going to tie dye a tortilla shell and make a rainbow burrito. Oh, rainbow burrito. Nice. Can so you, can you, okay, wait, 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 wait. I'm, I just got to kick this idea out there. Yes. Things, things that shouldn't be tie dyed. Is it possible to tie dye a tampon? Ew. Oh my God. That's a good idea. It is a good idea. No, they'll go with it. They'll get a kick out of it when I tell them. Okay. Good, 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 good. So here's another fun story for you on my side. Uh, one of my brother-in-laws is in jail. Okay. Which one? Hooray. It's really kind of a toss-up. I'm going to go Dwayne, though. Yes, yes, it was Dwayne. Okay. It was Dwayne. But it was kind um, of a toss-up. Yeah, no, it really is a toss-up. But the other one, uh, Randall, has successfully quit drinking for how long now? Three months now? Yeah, so uh, like so many people that quit drinking, he has uh, developed a slight punch from the insane amount of candy he's now eating. Yeah. Which seems to be like a habit. So he's trying to straighten his life out, and good for him. Um, uh, too bad he's already burned so many bridges. Beside the point. But, uh, apparently, uh, Dwayne just got had a episode, like a, a mental episode, okay. and just set, started driving around, driving around the neighborhood. Driving around the entire town, going down just every street, looking for a car he recognized so that he could find out where uh, his ex-wife, my sister-in-law, lived. So, and he was just going to, like, he was threatening to, like, beat the shit out of people and kill people and whatever. And, and so he found the right house and uh, bum-rushed Randall and beat the shit out of him. Randall needed stitches and was sent to the hospital. And so uh, Lauren saw this happen and got like a bat and just beat the shit out of Dwayne. And Dwayne was also sent to a hospital, a different hospital. And then when he came to, they put him in jail. So he's in jail now. Okay. So because of that, because, because of the intense drama that happened, uh, uh, Jaden stayed with us for like three days. And yeah. so a lot of videos 
we did a lot of videos while he was here. That was the, the one main thing. He was like, can we do, can we do a, a video where we do this and a video where we play with the green screen? And can, can I do a story time where I dress like you? Like he had all these ideas. Yeah. What'd you say? Treated him and oh, they treat. They treated him and released him and put him in jail. Okay. He's been there since. So, it, do we know when or if he's getting out? Lauren just beat the shit out of him. Yeah, yeah, he was still conscious, barefoot. Um, he was barefoot. Yeah, I left so, his apartment unlocked. He left his apartment door unlocked and like the TV was on. And the PlayStation were on, his bike was on the table. Like he was just so adamant to, to, to go and drive around drunk and find where they lived. And he was drunk and he was totally wasted too. So yeah. fun. So yeah, she beat him with that, smashed his windshield and side window. And apparently, I don't know if I told you this, his hmm. phone. Oh, destroyed his phone? She destroyed his she, phone too? Back to his phone too. Oh, wow. And yeah, so fun. Years of aggression. Yeah, so fun drama on that side. Yeah. Uh, yay. So Jane, w Jane stayed with us for like three days. And uh, poor boy, got some issues. One morning I woke up and uh, Jaden was on the TV and he was on the PlayStation and he watched a music video for You've Got a Friend in Me from the first Toy Story over okay. and over again for like 20 minutes. He just listened to You Got a Friend in Me for 20 minutes. So poor boy has some issues. Yeah. Um, I would have too if I had to, you know, grow up in such a crazy life. But yeah. One good thing about intense family drama like this really makes you feel good about yourself. Yes. You know, like, like, like so much drama happens where it's like, wow, the more drama happens, the more I seem like a clean cut, responsible individual. Yay. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm not beating people up with a bat. Yes. I've got my stuff figured out. So for 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 a while, I was considering postponing the podcast this week because I didn't write a lot, and I was like, "What am I going to do? Have Bunny come up with ideas for Nicolas Cage movies?" Ooh, which so was I, fun. Yeah, and so challenging. Like, yeah, so I wrote all of this in like the last two days, and I think it's pretty good. I'm really excited for Shap this week because it gets pretty intense. Did you know Alfalfa was in the Ten Commandments? It, it, that sounds familiar. Charles yes. and Heston's Ten Commandments. Fucking Alfalfa's in that movie. <laughs> He's a slave. Fucking, anyway. Anyway, so that's my week. It's been exciting. How, how are you, Bunny? I'm okay. I, I, I don't remember anything particularly happening this week at all. Yeah. Which is good. Sometimes. Can be good. I've been working on the serious win character. Uh, I pretty much got her, her gun done. Then I need a holster and a jacket and I gotta redo her hair and all stuff like that. But she's coming out pretty cool looking. 
Uh, right now, I'm working on a brain in a jar just because I needed something different to do. And it should be something I could get done fairly quickly and have some, have a cool little video of just a pulsating brain in a jar. Um, that's about it there. Um, yep. There's like too much insanity to track in the world anymore. There's yeah. like just, there's just like too much. Every day it's something new and every day it's something insane. You know? Yeah. So. Oh, but there is a little hope. Um, apparently a couple of female Indian scientists have detected an asteroid that's headed for Earth? Of course, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yep. Makes sense. I, I, I'm just feeling like, come on, baby. <laughs> the one thing about this Let's week's end movie... This shit already. The one thing about this week's movie <laughs> that, that really resonated with me is that... Um, Bob uh, Newhart won the presidency primarily because his opponent died in a car accident right before the election. And yet yeah. still, 30% of the voters voted for the candidate who just died. And that resonated with me because if tomorrow Joe Biden died in a, from a, a heart attack, yeah. I would still vote his corpse. Yes. <laughs> that was the one thing in this week's movie that, that just really made sense to me. It's like, damn it. If he died, if he, if he was shot dead tomorrow, I would still vote for the riddled, Blithold corpse of Joe Biden. Yeah. So, so yeah. And it's not too far away from a possibility. No, it is not. And then what? America is a third world country. And it has been. yeah. Yeah. Has been for quite some time. Yeah. Fucked up. Mm-hmm. Just, and people are saying, "Oh well, he he can't declare, he can't delay the election, he can't, you know, it, that would take an act of Congress." Be like, "Look, motherfucker, go." Really, all I've been saying to people is, "Go back and watch the fucking State of the Union address." Like every Nazi video you've ever seen was the whole right side of the fucking house whooping and cheering at every lie coming out of Trump's mouth. And yep. now tell me to be confident that he can't do it because it would take an act of fucking Congress. People, Congress is nuts. Yeah. They're just as fucking nuts as he is. Mm-hmm. Or why are they backing this shit? Yeah. So here, you're, oh, it'll take an act of Congress. I don't find that particularly comforting. 
We, we're talking about the Congress who had a hard time deciding if lynching should be illegal. Yeah. Just yeah. this year. Like, it's 2020. We still haven't, haven't solved the lynching question yet. Yeah. And it gave them a hard time. <laughs> there are politicians coming out actively as pro-lynching. <laughs> yeah. So go meteor. That's that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Go meteor. This whole human evolution thing just did not work according to plan. It was a fun experiment. Yeah. 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 But, you know, dinosaurs have had a better run than us. So, yeah. you know, if you look at the grand scheme of things, the, the entire human species is just going to be kind of a flash in the pan. Yeah. And I'm still voting for Planet of the Raccoons. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, if you look at any creature on the planet, I don't think any is like has the potential to evolving to a human level like a raccoon. Yeah, you're probably right. They'll get in your garbage no matter what the fuck you do. Yeah. You know what I've been, you know what I, you know what I've been thinking about lately. Um, Universal Studios theme park in Hollywood and in Florida have canceled their yearly Halloween horror nights, and yeah. that's a big deal. And let me put the big deal into perspective. They had Halloween horror nights in October of two thousand and one. 9-11 yeah, didn't cancel Halloween Horror Nights. So, and the weirdest thing is that theme parks were empty after 9-11 because no one wanted to travel in an airplane for a while. Like, people were still weirded out traveling in an airplane a year after 9-11. Imagine three weeks later... Imagine being like three weeks removed from 9-11 and it's like, oh, yes, tragic terrorist attack on our soils, endless death. Anyway, welcome to the River of Blood, you know? Like, they still did Halloween <laughs> They had to change things at the last second because apparently, like, after so many people died in 9-11, maybe we shouldn't have the parade of corpses. <laughs> so, so so then like oh the torture house the haunted house known as torture house is now the haunted house known as the spook factory so they had to like change a few things here and there you know yeah but but yeah 
like like they still had Halloween Horror Nights in 9-11, but they canceled it this year. I've been thinking about that for the last three days. I've never yeah. been to Halloween Horror Nights, but apparently people take that shit seriously. Oh, yeah. Hi, Eleanor. There are some you dedicated to... Halloween people these days. Hi, yeah. Eleanor. Oh, thank you. Okay, you go. Yeah, so that's all I got. Well, I caught an interesting show last night. Um, okay. Something that got mentioned in, on Facebook and like kind of passing, and it's not a new show, um, but it intrigued me that it was going to be Bruce Campbell and Rob Zombie. So I had to go look for that. I had to I had to watch that. Okay. Um, and this was Dinner for Five. Have you heard hmm. of this? No. And it's like an older show. This like isn't new. So it was Rob Zombie, John Favreau, Bruce Campbell, Faven Love, who I've never heard of before. And, uh, okay. And Roger Corman. And Roger Corman. Yeah, like the like that's a fucking table. That's an interesting yeah, that table. So so yeah, they get served huh. wine and shit like that. Like they're having dinner. Except there's no food. <laughs> yeah. Huh. And they, and they they talk. Was it any good? Oh, it was pretty fucking awesome, I thought. Huh. Oh, well, that's weird. I'll have to check, track that down. And the one, the one real takeaway that I had from it, seeing him as just a guy and not an actor or anything like that, Bruce Campbell, if you think about it, looks a lot like Bob Saget. Like, if you take Bob Saget's head and you grab it by the jaw and you pull it down a bit, yeah, you got Bruce Campbell. So Bob Saget is a less chiseled Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so, okay, so Bob Saget is a... Slubby Bruce Campbell. Yeah. I can accept that. Yeah. I yeah. I can see that. That's pretty good. Yeah. Freaking Bruce, Bruce Campbell. <laughs> <sighs> so that was fun. You might want to check it out. All I right. just found it by... I just found it by searching for Rob Zombie and Bruce Campbell. Hmm. Oh, Rob Zombie. Ah. Um, so somewhere in Shap is when I will normally realize something I really meant to mention in this segment and have mm -hmm. absolutely no thought about it now. Yeah, that's usually how it goes. Yeah. So I think that's about it. All right. 
think that's about it. It's, yeah. it's insane. You know, they they want to kill us all. You know, it's yeah. it's fun times. Yeah, yeah. Real fun, real fun. Barrel of laugh. Yeah. So let's talk, let's get on over and get us some shap. Yes. All right. So this is cut it. On that. Bunny Williams signing off and cut on that. All right then. Buddy! Yes. If you're like me, then you're no doubt a fan of this podcast, The Pope on Film. I mean, who is it? Really? But only true hardcore would know two things about us, two things about America's uh, favorite podcast, favorite podcasters, Bunny and C. First and foremost, the first undeniable and totally really real fact about you, Bunny, Yes. is the fact that when you're not doing this podcast, you run and operate your own unique Scared Straight program. So so tell our listeners, uh, our new listeners who, who don't know this about you, tell us more about your very unique Scared Straight program. Um, well, it is for trans kids who are making some serious serious mistakes they're trying okay but uh-huh. they're going down some wrong roads so we sit them down and we play some e entertainment and we show them some of the just tragic tragic fashion flaws of some of the celebrities out there. Yeah. And this, this makes them pay attention and starts making them color coordinate better. Gotcha. Uh Uh-huh. You know, what pisses me off about Donald Trump is that in my day, if you made a deal with the devil, you just needed to know how to play an instrument. Uh Back in my if you made a deal with the devil, you were either a great fiddle player or uh, a great guitarist. Ralph Macchio, anyway. Um, the second fact that you would know about me is that I'm a lover of history. I love it, but I'm also a storyteller. So what I like to do is I like to get a story from the history books that maybe people don't know too well and reword it via my own unique storytelling style. So that's what this is, another educationally uneducational installment of Steve's Historic Approximations! Dun, 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 dun. Or shap, as I like to call it, repeatedly, annoyingly, whether anyone wants me to or not. Personally, I like the name shap. It's blunt, it's direct, it's fun, and it's to the point. Essentially, it's the Jennifer Lawrence of podcast segments. And I wrote that joke. And then I thought about it. Um, 
I'm worried about Jennifer Lawrence because I looked her up on Wikipedia and it's like 2012, she was in three movies. 2013, she was in three movies. 2014, she was in three movies. 2015, she was in four movies. 2015, she was in three movies. 2016, she was in three movies. 2017, she was in two movies. 2018, she was in one movie 2019 the last thing that she did that came out was that last shitty fucking x-men film and now she's just gone. you remember when you see jennifer lawrence everywhere all the time all that once yeah, forever but, like what happened to lawrence but give her a break the she's major tired <laughs> yes the last major thing that she was in was the 2018 Russian film. I may not only know that, but she knew. But uh, back in the day, she was everywhere. And now you just don't see her. And I'm just worried about her. If you're listening, Jennifer Lawrence, which you probably are, this is America's favorite podcast. I, I hope you're doing okay, Jennifer Lawrence, is all I wanted to say. You yes. know? Just worried about her. Yes. Worried. Anywho. This week on the old Shappity Shap Shap, we will be discussing the sad life and tragic death of one singularly, uh, one of the most recognizable child actors in all of, in all of Hollywood, uh, Bonnie. Yes. Starting, starting with One Terrible Day in 1922 and ending with Dancing Romeo, in 1944, Hal Roach and Roach Studios made a whopping 220 <coughs> gang short. That's a ton of fucking our gang short. As well as one feature film. I didn't know about this. I knew there were a lot of our gang movies out there, but they made a film in 1938 called General Spanky, and it yes. was such a box office that uh, eventually led, that's what led to uh, Hal Roach selling the rights to our gang to MGM. Still, 122 short films and one live action feature film in 22 years, that's quite an impressive stat right there. The our gang was freaking huge. Yes. I know our because when I was growing up, this was syndicated, and I you'd see our gang at like six a.m. on channel yes. eighty-four. You know? So uh, you'd wind up fact, watching it before school and shit. Yeah. Uh, fun fact: I always wondered about this. the shorts were called our gang, but eventually the shorts were syndicated on TV, and that's when. Uh, to, 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 to snazz it up, I guess, they adopted the title of the Little Rascals for the syndicated television show. Yeah. So it's Our Gang is the name of the shorts, but nowadays people probably know them as the Little Rascals, but that's something that was tacked on for TV. Spanky, <laughs> the party leader was played by George McFarland, who was discovered at the age of three and continued to do them until 1942 when he was 14. Yeah. Motherfucker was a teenager and still doing our gang shorts 
Um, he lived a long and prosperous life and went through many careers until eventually launching the Nostalgia Channel, a TV channel in the 80s, which was later turned into Good Life TV in the 90s and then became the America One Network in the 2000s before finally becoming the U2 America Network, which apparently, according to the internet, has TV in Arizona, New York, and Colorado. So Spain killed dead, but he helped start a TV station, which is still out there. Apparently, you can get the the U2 American Goku. So uh, good for good for Spanky, I guess. You know, because yeah. he's still out there. Yeah, so that's Spanky. Now on Buckwheat. Uh, originally, Buckwheat was a girl. And they had a girl dressed up in like a mammy character, but after a, a number of years, they decided to replace Buckwheat with a boy. Fun fact, our gang was one of the first times in the history of Hollywood where black and white characters were seen as equals. Yes. Because instead of saying, oh, well, these black kids can't be in here, only white kids, this and that, Hal Roach's idea was like, kids aren't racist, if these kids live in the same neighborhood, they're going to play, and it doesn't matter. And so all, all of the kids in our gang were equal. And even though actor Billy Thomas Jr. was the one who played Buckwheat from 1934 to 1944, <laughs> black actor Ernie Morrison, who was one of the our gang kids in the background, he didn't have a big part, but he was in the our gang films, Black actor Ernie Morrison was one of the was the first African American actor to ever be signed to a long term contract in the entire history of Hollywood. Really, and that's uh, pretty. So Buckwheat, aka Billy Thomas Jr., he won a contest to be in the R Gang films, and after being in the R Gang films, he joined the army. He was a decorated soldier, and then later in his life, he returned to Hollywood, but as a lab technician with Technicolor. Wow! So the so the kid who played Buckwheat helped bring Technicolor to the world, and that's pretty impressive. Now on yes. to our main story, Carl Dean Schweitzer. Switzer? Yes. A.K.A. Alfalfa. I was happy to, to learn that even though he grew up to be a teenager and a 20-something and a 30-something individual, even though he moved on from our gang and was in a number of big-time movies, everyone just called him Alfalfa. Yes. I was hear that that through the rest of his life people were just calling him alfalfa because i was having a hard time writing his name carl switzer over and over again and then it's like oh wait everyone just called him alfalfa in real life thank fucking god so i'm just calling him alfalfa for this entire thing <laughs> and that's just so much easier for yeah right now so, uh, Carl Dean Switzer, a.k.a. Alfalfa. Alfalfa played a Hebrew slave in Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments. Here's another yes. one. Alfalfa takes Donna Reed out on a date to the school dance in the beginning of It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. Uh-huh. 
so so like a, a, a spanky left Hollywood. He went to do this and he became successful. And Buckwheat became an armed, decorated army veteran and then worked with the Technicolor Corporation. But Alfalfa kept acting. Because yeah. even when he was like a teen and something person, he still had, he looked exactly like Alfalfa and he was just typecast. Uh, what's the name of that? What's the name of that actor who, who was a nerd and everything? He was the nerd. He was Eugene in Greece. And like for decades, you'd see this one character actor play a nerd in everything. Yeah. Well, I know the type of guy you're talking about. Yeah, so that was Alfalfa in like the 40s and 50s. Yeah. He still had a career uh, outside of our gang films. He even co-starred in a Bowery Boys movie. Specifically, 1956's Dig That Uranium. And then I went on a side tangent. Did you know they made 48 goddamn Bowery Boys movies? That's insane! But if you think about it, the Bowery Boys is a natural progression from the Little Rascals. Yeah, yeah. So they so they brought Alfalfa from the art gang and they put in some uh, Bowery Boys movies. Anywho, as as well as having a semi-legitimate acting career after childhood, he was also a hunting dog breeder and hunting dog trainer. And in the 50s, some of the most famous Hollywood stars, Henry Fonda, Jimmy Stewart, Roy Rogers, would go to Alfalfa because of his hunting dog experience. <laughs> That's insane. So uh, if you... It, a lot of people apparently have gone to visit Alfalfa's gravestone and seen that it has a dog on it and have been really confused. <laughs> and now, if you hear this podcast and go and visit Alfalfa's grave, that will make sense. Yes, so, yes it will. Another public service. Yeah. So it would seem like everything's hunky-dory for our boy Alfalfa, and it was for a while. So here's the main story. So Alfalfa meets a young woman. She's an heiress to some grain elevator empire. Okay. It's 1954. They hit it off, and they married after only three months of dating. Cut to, it's 1956, the acting gigs aren't coming too quick for our boy Alfalfa, and he develops a drinking problem. He's drinking a lot. There's also rumors that he had a drug problem, and rumors, however unbelievable, that he owed money to the mafia. But I'm not yeah. touching any of that, because it's just rumors. I'm sticking with what we know. He's got a drinking problem. He's running out of money, and also his wife is pregnant. So his mother-in-law gifts them a farm in Kansas, and they move to Kansas. They have their kid, and in 1957, they're done, so they get divorced. That brings us to the sad, strange death of Carl Alfalfa Schweitzer at age 31. His death, or was he murdered? Give me some dramatic music, buddy. Uh, 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 uh. Nice. 
Very nice. Okay. So Alfalfa, now divorced, moves, moves back to California, gets a small apartment on Santa Monica Boulevard. The acting gigs are scarce. He did have a memorable small part in the Sidney Poitier film, The Defiant Ones. Motherfucker had a career. <laughs> Alfalfa was in the goddamn Defiant Ones. So, uh, you know, good for him. But yes. the acting gigs were few and far between. So he primarily uh, did bartending and uh, his dog business. And he, would, he was also a hunting guide. So we would take people out hunting. So Alfalfa was vague acquaintances with this guy. His name was Moses Stilts. Z. Stilts. But everybody called him Bud. So Bud Stilts. Bud was the official bodyguard for Ray Crash Corrigan. So this is important to the story. This is really important to the story. So Ray Crash Corrigan hires Bud Stilts to be his bodyguard. They get really close and they're really friendly. And Ray Crash Corrigan is like, hey, Bud, you're a member of the family. Come on over. Spend time with my wife and kids. We're working together now. And Ray Crash Corrigan starts a movie studio and he calls it like Corriganville or Corrigan Town or Corrigan Studios, whatever. Okay. Uh, like Spawn Family Ranch in Once Upon a Time dot 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 in yeah. Hollywood. Ray Crash opened up uh, Corriganville and it's a movie studio and he's running it with Bud and then eventually Bud becomes such a member of the family that he falls in love with the wife and the wife and Bud kick Ray Crash Corrigan out of the family. Okay. So Bud's soul crashes wife away from him and Bud moves in with Ray Crash Corrigan's family. So Bud Stilts with a Z, real douchebag. Yeah. Okay? Well, Alfalfa was uh, hired to lend some, I don't know, rich hoity-toity individuals on a hunting trip to Mount Shasta. And he was out of hunting dogs, and he knew that Bud Stilts with a Z had a hunting dog. So uh, Alfalfa asks, hey, Bud, can I borrow your hunting dog for this hunting trip? Bud says yes. And so Alfalfa takes these people on a hunting trip, and he's got Bud's dog. And at some point in time during the hunting trip, the dog runs off. Alfalfa is struggling, trying to look for the dog. It's not his dog, it's Bud's dog. And eventually, he finds a local rancher in Mount Shasta, and the rancher's like, oh, I've got your dog, sure, and I'll be glad to give it back to you for $50. Okay. So, Alfalfa goes to Bud and says, hey, um, your dog ran off. I found the guy who, who found your dog, but he wants $50, so give me $50. And Bud says, um, fuck no alfalfa, you lost my fucking dog, you pay the fucking $50. Yeah. And Alpha's pissed off, but he pays the $50, he gets the dog back, he gives the dog back to Bud Stilts, and Bud says, uh, thanks, now fuck off. 
So a few days later, Alfalfa is at a bar and he's drinking with a buddy and he gets pissed and he's drunk and he's like, that son of a bitch, bud, that son of a bitch. I borrow his dog and his dog runs off. His dog takes off. I, you know, I, this dog was supposed to help me, but his dog ran off. That's not my fault. It's not my fault. The goddamn dog ran away. That's Bud's fault. It's Bud's goddamn dog that ran off. And now I have to pay 50 bucks because his dog ran off. It's not my fault. The dog ran off. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to have a few more shots. I'm going to go down to Bud's fucking place and I'm going to make him give me that $50. Even if I have to beat it out of him, I'm going to get my $50 back. So a drunk alfalfa and his friend goes to Bud's house. Bud would later claim that alfalfa had a knife and was violent and attacked him. And sure, I shot alfalfa in the torso and he died, but it was self-defense. So alfalfa's dead. Shotgun blasts to the abdomen. And a jury believes Bud's story of an enraged, drunken alfalfa, because everyone can believe. I think we've all had nightmares of an enraged, drunken alfalfa, right? Yes. Yes. Baby. There's a spider in your mouth? No, a spot. Okay, go show mom. She said... That she can't see it. Okay, well, I can't see it either. I'll try and see it during the break, okay? I'm almost done with Act 2, to be clear. Uh, dude, I was on a roll, and then she stopped me to see... Uh, okay, <laughs> enraged Alfalfa. And in 1959, the murder of Alfalfa was ruled as self-defense. A jury believed Bud's story. Yes. It was and he was cleared from the murder of Alfalfa. Um, sadly, the sad part is Alfalfa died the same day as Cecil B. DeMille. Oh! That's gotta suck. So his death got, like, no press. Just like when Farrah Fawcett died and everyone's like, yes. oh, we lost a treasure. And then, like, a, two hours later, Michael Jackson died and people said, oh, we lost a bigger treasure. Get the fuck out of here, corpse of Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> so that would have been the end of Alfalfa's story. Were it not for a man named Tom. Okay, so Ray Crash Corrigan was a nice dude. He was a yeah. nice guy. He was friendly. Everybody liked him. He had. And, three... and I'm sorry, I've always heard that that Alfalfa was really kind of a douchebag. Yeah, he he would do pranks. He had a he had a hard time. He could barely read, and he would have someone read the script for him, and he would treat yeah. people like shit. No, he, and then he had a drinking problem, maybe a drug problem. Like, yeah, he was a douchebag, but uh, yeah. it, like the fact that anyone would like, oh, I had to murder Alfalfa. Like, that's some weird shit. <laughs> yes, you know, you don't understand. I was forced to kill Alfalfa in self-defense. Like. <laughs> Alfalfa! Alfalfa! He was out of control! Like, like, what the fuck are you saying? You know? So, so Ray Crash Corrigan was a nice guy, and uh, he had uh, a wife and kids, 
and a real friendly life. And then the wife fell in love with Bud, who was a douchebag, and the kids hated him. One of those kids was named Tom, Tommy Corrigan. And he was the son of Crash Corrigan and fucking hated his new piece of shit stepdad. Yeah, okay. Time of the murder, Tommy Corrigan was 14 years old. He was there when Alfalfa was killed and never spoke to anyone the events of that night until... For some fucking reason, 2001. Okay. Why he waited this long to tell this, I have no fucking idea. But at the time, Tom Corrigan was 56 years old, and he was the successful owner of a popular San Fernando Valley restaurant. And it was called, like, Corrigan's Place. And it was, like, this restaurant. And everybody loved it. And everyone would go to Corrigan Place. And they were interviewing him one day for a story. And he finally just, like, I've never told anyone this story. And told the truth about what happened to Alfalfa. And according to Tom Corrigan, Alfalfa never attacked Bud. And, like, oh, uh, Alfalfa attacked me with a knife. Apparently... Like, like all he had was like a pocket knife. He had like a army knife and he never yeah. took it out of his pocket. And yeah, it wasn't self-defense. Tom Corrigan in 2001 was quoted as saying it was more like a murder. Oh, My oh okay. Wait, 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 wait. Murdered. Okay, like I just got stuck at this whole interview portion. So the guy owns a restaurant some local paper or something like that, right? Is yeah. coming yeah. is coming to interview him, and they're they're kind of like, so Tom, why so, do you think people like your double broiled prime rib so much? And he's like, oh, it's so wonderful. I know who killed out. My Alfalfa. dad taught it. To me. <laughs> uh, it's a wonderful recipe. My dad taught it to me. Oh, your dad, Bud Stilts? No. My real dad. I've never told anyone this story before. <laughs> yeah. That's basically how it happened. And this like local reporter interviewing the successful owner of a restaurant is suddenly like, oh, okay. But yeah, yeah he and, finally and let like, it like, slip. Yeah, and then the next question is kind of like, um, uh, so how Tell did you come up with the blooming onion? <laughs> <laughs> I came up with it the day my stepfather murdered Alfalfa. <laughs> yeah. So the police gets wind of this story and they interview Tom Corrigan and they say will you testify to this in court and Tom says yes but he's never called to testify I can only assume because the I don't know San Fernando Police Department is like should we open a 40 year old case about the murder of Alfalfa. Alfalfa died in 1953. Bud Stilts died in 1983. What are the benefits of us opening up this case? Fuck it. We're not opening back the Alfalfa case. Yeah. But they never 
they never opened the case. They never reopened the case. They never, uh, you know, had Tom Corrigan testify. And, and yeah, Alfalfa, actor, dog trainer. He acted with Charlton Heston. He acted with Jimmy Stewart. He acted with Sidney Poitier. And he was brutally murdered over $50 and a dog. Yes. This is the weirdest story. And I know I say this all the time during this segment, but I'm shocked that more people don't know the, the, this story. The strange and bizarre murder. let's not forget, none of us would know the Barber of Seville if it wasn't for Alfalfa. Oh, oh, hell yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You oh, know, yeah. so like, we, we learned from Alfalfa. We grew with Alfalfa. We died with Alfalfa. Yeah. 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 Fair. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for Steve's historic approximations this week. Uh, be sure and join us next week for more uh, uh, educationally uneducational fun with Steve's historic approximations. Uh, yes. We still have a movie to get to. We need to talk about Fred Willard. We need to talk about Westworld. We need to talk about Madeline Kahn. We need to talk about Clue. We need to talk about Get Smart. Yes. We need to talk about training dolphins to kill the president. But before we get to any of that, maybe we should take a break. Should we take a break? We should take a break. Okay. I concur. We will be right back with more of the Pope on Film after this. And break. Bob's not a fan of commerce, but the internet has enabled the small business owner to increase his cash flow more than in the in the past 25 years than in the entire recorded history. Because Mad Men. See, ten tons of animal fury leap from the screen. Hey, look! Giant Ape defy Jaw Shark. See Giant Ape Vanquish Monster Reptile. See Ocean Liner demolished. See Metropolis fight to survive flaming holocaust. See helpless beauty in embrace of 36-foot monster. See ape in 3D. And we're back with more of 
of the Popon film. Act three, Bunny. Act three. Act three. Yes, Bunny, my friend. It is time once again for all of us here at the Popon Film Podcast to casually mosey on down to the long-awaited, often-imitated, but never-duplicated third and final act. And just to be clear, for those of you who might not be in the know, the third and final act of the movie is when we finally and eventually get around to discussing our all-new, all-natural movie of the week. And this week, we continue our summer-long celebration of actor Fred Willard by discussing Gilda Radner, Madeline Kahn, and Buck Henry with a look at the long-forgotten 1980 comedy with finger quotes, First Family! Yeah. Before we discuss this easily forgettable film, let's visit our Fred Willometer to see just how much Fred Willard is in this film. And Jesus Christ, Bunny. Yes. Once again, once again, Fred Willard pops up at exactly five minutes into this movie. (laughs) This is the third movie in a row where Fred Willard has popped up five minutes into it. So uh, uh, I'll believe you waiting for Guffman and First Family are the three movies in a row so far where Fred Willard has popped up at exactly the the five-minute mark. And it's the fourth film out of nine Fred Willard films that we have done this summer where he pops up five minutes into it. So Freddy Five yes, is a nickname that my wife came up with for Fred Willard. And I think that it's a good, they probably called him that on the set. Oh, here comes Freddy Five. Well, that, that I think would be his, his rap name, you know, like his mafia name would be Freddy Five Minutes. Yeah, it yeah, would be the whole thing for his mafia name. Yeah. In the film, Fred Willard plays chief of staff Feebleman. Way to telegraph your characterizations, Buck Henry. <laughs> it's not the most Fred Willard we've gotten this summer, but I did like the scene 17 minutes in where Rip Torn talks with Fred Willard while Gilda Radner escapes by a bed sheets because it reminded yes. me of what just happened here in Oklahoma. Yes. <laughs> there was a prison in Oklahoma City and two convicts escaped from the 12th story window by fucking attaching bed sheets like Gilda Radner in this week's movie. 72 bed sheets. Tied together, smashed a window out from the 12th floor, climbed down the, 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 the rapist, <sighs> fell when he got to the 4th floor, broke his leg. And he early on. But the murderer managed to make it down. And it was like an entire day of manhunt. And they finally found him that evening. But like, Bed sheets. Bed sheets, like yeah. You're, like you're a cartoon character. Yeah. You yeah. go splat, don't climb the floor. I mean, I guess it was a risk. It, idiocy su- like, reigns supreme in this fucking state. That's what happens when you purchase the Anarchist Cookbook, the new version written <laughs> by Anderson. Wes Anderson's anarchist, handmade anarchist cookbook. Yeah. That's, that's, figure that out. 
But yeah, uh, Gilda Radner escaping from the White House so that she can get laid is uh, obviously uh, the prisoners, the rapists and murderers in Oklahoma City, huge first family fans. Yes. I think it's really thinking now. I really think that all of all of the blame has to be laid at Buck Henry's feet on this one, man. I mean, yeah. you've got yeah. talented people in this movie. I'm a shit ton of talent. This movie has talent coming out of its ass. Okay, so I've got a picture here. So we've got the guy from Westworld. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, his name is Richard Madeline Kahn. Madeline Kahn, we've got uh, Max from the Muppet movie. Yeah. We've got uh, uh, Bob Newhart, Gilda Frickin' Radner, and there's uh, uh, Fred Willard there on the yeah. right, for those of you who might be watching this. It's an incredible goddamn cast. Yeah. Madeline mm-hmm. Kahn is so rec- unrecognizable in Clue that I forget that she's in it. Yeah. As Mrs. White. Because she's got that, like, black wig and she's dressed, like, all, like, like, sultrily. Yeah. But, like, I forget that she's in Clue, but she's amazing. Flames. 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 On the side of my face. On my face. This has an amazing cast. Why is this? Why has everyone forgotten this movie? Mm-hmm. Bunny, you're and there are even a lot of thoughts. Even if you like listen to it, like some of the jokes were funny, but they just dropped like fucking lead balloons. It was like, like you you didn't laugh, but you could kind of be like. Oh, I can kind of see where that that was funny. You know yeah. what I mean? But nothing yeah. to like laugh about. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like the woman screaming when his head came off. When his dummy head came off. Yeah. I found yeah. that kind of entertaining. And and I was expecting was like a glimpse of what this movie wanted to be, but wasn't. Yeah. I was expecting a, a, a madcap uh, uh, comedy or perhaps a muted Bob Newhart comedy. I wasn't expecting a, a fairly racist comedy, which primarily starred Gilda Rad as the president's horny daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were periods of this movie where she had, uh, where I thought she would have a lot more screen time than the actual freaking president. Yeah. And then I thought maybe this was going to be like a wacky romp because freaking, oh, what's his name is in it? Um, Harvey Corman's in it. Yeah. So I was thinking America or the Star Wars holiday special. It's going to get all wacky and shit, but like, no, not at all. All it was was a fairly muted racist comedy that forgot to put in laughs. Uh Uh-huh. You know? It's like nobody's heart was in this. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, like, like when you try to make a joke at a funeral, it yeah. might be a, it might be a funny joke, but you're probably not going to get the reaction that you're expecting. That's kind yeah. of what this movie was like a joke at the fucking funeral. Cause again, like I could kind of see how things were supposed to be funny. You know, him being dressed yeah. up as George Washington, that was supposed to be funny. You know, all the guys in the costumes, you know, although Rip Torn made a really hot turkey, but yeah. you could see it was supposed to be funny, but it just was all just laying flat. Like there was no comic timing or, or anything going on. It's like it was trying so hard to be a parody that it for that it just forgot to be funny. Mm-hmm. Like like if Weird Al Yankovic said, "I am going to do a parody album of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band," but the stress was so much on him that he just covered the album yes and didn't make it funny in any way that's how i felt that this was we're gonna parody the first family and it's like oh you did it you just forgot to put in jokes For a for a while there, I I saw Rip Torn and he's like the the lieutenant commander, whatever the fuck. And then I started thinking like, because you have a lot of time to think in this movie because you don't have to pay attention to it because nothing happens. So I'm watching the movie and I'm like, huh, Rip Torn is like a army colonel lieutenant. Yeah. I feel like he's played that before. Let me go through his career and see how many times he's played a lieutenant. Oh, wait a second. I see a lot of doctors here. Okay, well, I'll make a list of all the time Rip Taylor played a doctor or a lieutenant. Oh, wait, see a lot of police officers here. Okay, let me make a list of all the time <laughs> Rip Taylor was a police And all the times he was a doctor and all the times he was some sort of colonel or lieutenant. And then I stopped making that list. And I'll tell you why I stopped making that list. That would have made me the one person in America who has thought the most about Rip Torn. Yes. (laughs) That's why I stopped making that list. It was going to be a good list, but then it's like, why would I spend so much of my time on Rip Torn? You know, one of the amazing things about Rip Torn that I find is that no matter where you see Rip Torn, you always perceive him as being old. Yes, yes, very much. If so. you, if you like, even looking back and thinking about this movie, my brain is telling me Rip Torn was old, but when I was watching the movie, he was like. Maybe he like just got into his thirties. Yeah, he was he was not old, but still, he was old. Yeah. Fun fact: If you ever saw the movie Freddy Got Fingered and watched it all the way through, you legally never have to think about Rip Torn again. <laughs> you paid your Rip Torn penance, and now you're in the clear. You're just in the clear. Uh, The review from Time Magazine film critic Richard Corliss said, quote, 
What is the sound of one man not laughing? Yes. And that is an accurate review, I feel, of this film. So, Bunny, why don't you hit us with some, some plot? Because you're so good at this, as well, we've already established throughout the episode. Why don't you hit us with the plot of First Family? The president has a very horny daughter. She is 28 years old, and she is she is still a virgin because she can't date because, well, now her father's president. Before that, he was senator, and before that, he was congressman, you know. And she is now 28, and she's extremely horny, and she's trying to escape from the White House to get late. <laughs> trying to um, the background. And then we get into the strange African nation, which, which yes, I found, I found very racist, huh? Extremely racist, yes. Extremely racist. And like, and like, not like some, like some things you look back on and you may perceive it as racist. Like, like Blazing Saddles is a good example. You may perceive it as racist, but you have to ask yourself, was it racist at the time? Yes. Yeah. You know? What? It was racist, and they knew it. They did it on purpose, just like all in the family. Right. Okay. Um, but this was like so obviously racist that I, I can't see how it was. It was ever correct. Yeah. You know, this was a a primitive African tribe that eventually winds up kidnapping a white woman. Yeah. You know? The one part that I thought that the movie could have gotten good is the fact that they were doing a a trade agreement and uh, the African country wanted a few hundred white Americans to come live in their country so that they could be the oppressed minority. And yes. I thought, okay, so like, you can have this, but then like it went nowhere. Yeah. And nothing happened. Yeah. That but it, was it was the like, part that I got like fucking hell yeah. Send some white people to go be oppressed. In this but African it was like a country. little too little, a little too late. I kind of felt it was yeah. like, uh, you took a shot at redeeming yourself, but you really just didn't quite make it. Yeah. And then I'm going to all these websites and, and to try to find information about this movie, and there's not a lot out there. But all of the websites said uh, Madeline Kahn as the drunk first lady, and it's like, wait, she was supposed to be drunk? That was badly written if she was supposed to be a drunk. Yeah. You know, because, like, I didn't get that at all. Well, they would show her taking a drink here or there. Yeah, but, like, if you are making a comedy and you're supposed to have a drunk first lady, I expect you to Harvey Corman it. Uh But not even Harvey Corman was Harvey Corman it in this movie. 
So, I I always liked that old Warner Brothers logo from the seventies. I always yeah. liked seeing that logo. And then Joaquin Phoenix's white male rage take on the Joker ruined it for me. <laughs> so now I'm starting this movie and I see that logo is all I can think is just fuck Joaquin Phoenix so hard. I like 29 <laughs> better when it was called every movie from the 70s. Yeah. This is me off. Joaquin. I, what? His. It, how it's pronounced. How it should be pronounced. His first name is Joaquin, and his last name is Phoenix, but he doesn't deserve that last name. From now on, <laughs> you can call him Joaquin Yuma, Joaquin Mesa, Joaquin Apache Junction, or my favorite, Joaquin Tucson. But not Phoenix. He doesn't get Phoenix. But this film was written and directed by Buck Henry, a legendary screenwriter and sometimes actor. He uh, uh, created Get Smart and wrote Get Smart with yes. Mel Brooks. And he, he wrote the movie Candy, The Owl and the Pussycat, What's Up Doc, Day of the Dolphin. He acted in a ton of shit. Uh, Will and Grace, 30 Rock, Law and Order. Even Cowgirls Get the Blues, which is fucking weird. Uh, <laughs> he was in Defending Your Life, which we covered in episode 85. Yes, I looked at I thought it was sooner than that, but it was not, apparently. And in the first five years of SNL, he hosted 10 times. Which is like where I was first ever introduced with Buck Henry. But I do still, I still stand by my claim that Buck Henry is a Hunter S. Thompson wannabe. Yeah, I can feel that. So... This is how I feel this movie came about. Again, there's no information about this because no one remembers this movie. Poor Gilda Radner. Hollywood did not treat her well. No. No. She's an amazing comedian and actress. And then when she went to Hollywood, we just didn't know what to do with her. You know? Yeah. Like, like poor, poor her. Anywho, Buck Henry. So Buck Henry, he co-directed the 1978 Warren Beatty film, Heaven Can Wait. Yeah. So Buck Henry co-directed with notorious control freak Warren Beatty, uh, Dick Tracy. And that film was nominated for nine Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director, uh, but lost both to The Deer Hunter. Well, after being nominated for Best Director his first time out, of course, that means that Buck Henry is a successful director now and has to follow it up with another film. That's this movie. Oh... It's like, oh, if you liked Heaven Can Wait, just wait for my next directorial feature. An amazing cast of characters 
and a wacky premise, you're going to love my new movie. Well, they didn't. Um, The film, uh, $15 million at the box office and managed to nab one of the most lukewarm positive reviews ever for from our podcast's favorite bitchy movie reviewer, deceased New York Times reviewer Vincent Canby. Okay. I've got the review, and I want to read it to you. According to <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes, this is a positive review. Want to make that clear that Rotten Tomatoes says that this is a this is a positive review. Okay, yes. money. Okay. Um, this film has sequences that are side-splittingly funny, others sublimely cheerful, and still others that, like the movie itself, simply doesn't know how to end. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so that's that's apparently a, a super successful review. Yeah. Uh, the film sort of the, runs The costumes, out. look. See, they mentioned the costumes. Yeah. That's the film's costumes were very realistic, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, that's a rave review, according to uh, Rotten Tomatoes. The film was not a hit, and Buck Henry never again directed a film after this. Thank this was God his for that. And last directorial film. He still wrote some really good shit, though. I didn't realize that he wrote to die for. There was a small period in time when I was obsessed with that film. Yeah. That's the one where Nicole Kidman gets 15-year-old Joaquin Tucson to kill her husband. Uh-huh, okay. Loved that movie for a while, for whatever reason. So here's my favorite stat from this movie, okay? Uh, Madeline Kahn, a genius, she plays Gilda Radner's mother. So let's go over the, uh, the, the, the stats on this one. Bob Newhart was 51 years old when he moved. Madeline Kahn was 38. Gilda Radner was 34. So Gilda Radner's mother was four years older than she was in this film. (laughs) I love that so much. Apparently, this film's ending was reshot just two weeks before the movie's release at a great cost because apparently test audiences hated the original ending. And because this film was such a bomb, and because this film was so unremembered, I can't find any fucking record on the internet of what the original ending was. But does it matter? I don't I think, don't think so. so. I can only assume that in the original ending, the entire first family is killed. But that's just my guess. That would be a good idea. Because the ending was pretty uh, confusing. That like, yeah. what... We're going to pretend that they resurrected? Uh-huh. Like, it, it, I don't know. And also, I watched all of the credits. Why the fuck was this movie rated R? 
I was so confused by that. A rated R movie with this cast. I expected a lot more cussing and, and, and shit. But like, oh my god, this is a P this is this is easily a PG thirteen movie. Yes. Oh god, yes. But this shit got an R. I'm trying to think of like what the hell what makes this see movie the... rated R movie? Because uh, Gilda Radner's horny? Is that the only reason why this movie was rated R? Well, don't we see the cop on the statue for like a second? For like a second. Yeah. Well, that's a bullshit reason for this movie to be rated R. Maybe that movie bombed. But anyway, yeah. So that's 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 all I got for this week's movie, which I do think is probably longer than anyone else has ever talked about this movie. Oh yes, by far. Then even oh, Bob no. Newhart doesn't. And this movie is barely on Bob Newhart's Wikipedia. <laughs> According to Gilda Radner's Wikipedia, I'm not even sure if this movie even existed. But there you go. I struggled for so hard to find this movie and eventually found it on archive.org only because it's a VHS rip. This is a direct rip of uh-huh. the original VHS of it. So, hooray! First family. This movie sucks. This movie does why this movie suck. Is- yeah, I, I I will say I did like uh, Buck Henry's uh, 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 like weird hippie priest character. Yeah, that appears in just one scene a little bit, and it, it was nice to see a priest go. This beautiful first family of ours, now that's a family that's got its shit together. <laughs> so if you could just send them good vibes. Yeah. Like, yeah. But movie's a big misfire. There's just, I mean, come on. This fucking cast, you can't make this a funnier movie? Shit. Yeah. This just take Harvey Corman off his leash. Yeah. You know? Take them Fuck. all off of their leash. Yeah, goddamn. Anyone this in this movie is capable of, of a good comedy. Yeah. Pretty sad. But that's but that's it. That's it for this week's movie. Next week, uh I'm going to watch a we're going to watch a movie that I have only seen once in theaters and I remember not liking. I remember being upset at myself for not liking it. I I can't even tell you who Fred Willard is in this film because I we're watching Christopher Guests for your consideration. Okay. It's his, I believe, third or fourth uh, mockumentary, and in no way as well-beloved as his other films, like Waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, even Mascots. This is the one film where he was like, okay, maybe people are tired of my shtick, and I'm going to stop making these movies for a while. I haven't uploaded it yet on our uh, cough cough, but I'll be doing that after this. But okay, but yeah, for your consideration, I know Fred Willard's in it. I don't remember how he's in it or how long he's in it or 
I remember shit from but, this film. So we're going to watch it, see if it's... But just to be on the safe side, not to miss the Willard, pay attention to the five-minute mark. Yes, yes. I, I don't think he's in it five minutes in, but still, we'll see. We will yeah. see if Freddy Five can uh, repeat itself. So that's next week. Now, a we'll all, next week we'll also be talking about um, the Taco Bell and tiki culture. We will be talking about that next week as well. But now that I'm looking back at this week, uh, oh man, the highs, the lows, Nicolas Cage, General Spanky. Yes. Uh, heaven can wait. Nicole Kidman's to die for. I gotta say, I think this has been a pretty good episode. This has been a damn good episode. Okay, I, good. I, I I felt the same way, but I didn't want to step on your toes because, like, you're the one who makes that decision. But uh, you know, yes, I concur. I concur with your assessment, good sir. Yes. So until next week, I am Bunny Williams. And I am Reverend Steve, and on behalf of Eleanor, Natasha, Maxwell, and everybody else, I just want to say thanks for listening, and we will see you next week, you godless heathens. And you sins. And poopy toots. All right, and poopy toots. Thanks, Eleanor. Do 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 do